Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You know, I was, I was quite literally sat down in a room, uh, um, a room in a house, <laughs> a bedroom, with the head of Alpine Canada at that time and my sexual abuser. And they both looked at me and said, you know, Allison, we need to work together on this because if our sponsors find out, we won't have a sport anymore. Allison Forsyth uh, speaking with us and talking about the fact and the time that she had been sexually assaulted by her national team coach. And she was going to go public and uh, Alpine Canada met with Allison in her hotel room along with the coach and they tried to persuade her not to go public because it could hurt Alpine Canada and sponsorship. That was at the time the Hockey Canada issue, and the allegations were out that Team Canada junior players had sexually assaulted a woman after a tournament. That's all we knew. And you remember all of the issues that started to swirl around Hockey Canada, which ended up with the entire board leaving and the place being restructured. So this week, the Globe and Mail reported five members of Team Canada's junior team in 2018 are facing sexual assault charges and they've been ordered by the London, Ontario Police Service to turn themselves in. So the question is, well, one of the questions I have is, how will the London Police Service investigation have taken place? Will the fact that none of the players ordered to turn themselves in refused to do so, all of them refused to do so voluntarily earlier I wonder whether that's going to be viewed negatively. Hank Edzinga is the former commander of the Toronto Police Service Homicide Squad, an AM640 Toronto crime specialist, our chorus radio station in Toronto where this program airs. Hank, thank you very much for joining us. Good to talk to you. Hi, Roy. It's uh, great to talk to you as well. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, this, this case has lingered for years, and there was reportedly an out-of-court settlement between the woman known as E.M., um, who was charging that she was sexually assaulted by multiple players and Hockey Canada. I mean, that was the, the, the uh, out-of-court settlement was between E.M. and Hockey Canada. Does an out-of-court settlement of a case with criminal implications ever clear such a case from any police investigation? Well, that's that's a great question. I mean, I believe in this case there was an investigation originally by London police, and they found the allegations to be unsubstantiated. And then Hockey Canada conducted an investigation and eventually reached that out-of-court settlement uh, between themselves and EM. And that's when there was some public outcry and London said, okay, we're going to look at this investigation again. So this is a pretty tough position for London police to be in for the investigators. They essentially have to reinvestigate their own investigation and investigate the Hockey Canada investigation. And they've obviously gotten to the point now where they believe they have reasonable grounds to lay sexual assault charges and have asked these uh, suspects to turn themselves in. So 
I, I don't know that I've ever encountered uh, a similar situation, so it's going to be real interesting to see how this plays out in court. Does it surprise you at all that none of these individuals, and they must have known, they must have known they were being looked at, as you said, London Police Service conducted an investigation, and in 2022, LPS believed they had reasonable grounds to accuse five players of sexually assaulting EM. Does it surprise you that none of them have gone to the police and said, uh, I want to talk to you? Or do you think they may have had legal advice to not do so? Well, we don't know if they have or not, right? Well, that's true. We that's true. But yeah. but if they had, would they would LPS, London Police Service, now be ordering them to turn themselves in if they'd gone and, and talked to them already? Well, any interview uh, conducted with any of, any of these individuals would certainly form part of the investigation. Mm -hmm. And they very well may have been interviewed by London police. We just don't know that yet. They may have been inter interviewed by Hockey Canada and Hockey Canada's investigators. Um, there was a law firm involved in the Hockey Canada investigation as well. They may have been interviewed, but it's also well within their rights not to be interviewed. Right. If an allegation like that is made, then they would be classified as suspects and they're protected by law in Canada where they don't have to say anything if they don't want to say anything. So they could choose to do so. We just don't know that yet, whether they have been interviewed. Hank, how does an investigation such as this one take place? What's the what's the, what's the sequence? Well, this is uh, this is a tough one. Like I said, uh, it's. It's a matter of reinvestigating what's already been done, uh, reinvestigating the multiple investigations that have already taken place, and then looking for any new evidence, uh, possibly re-interviewing the victim, and trying to really corroborate everything, especially in a sexual assault investigation that the victim has, has said. Uh, all of the circumstances, all of the details leading up to the sexual assault itself and everything that happens afterwards as well, including who she has spoken to, what has she said to these people, uh, what has she said to any family or friends in the immediate, immediate aftermath of the alleged sexual assault. Uh, it, it, it's quite labor intensive. Uh, you can imagine uh, trying to obtain surveillance video, uh, you know, financial records, trying to place people at different places at different times. I'm surprised that this has taken well, close to a year now for London police to come to this point. Mm -hmm. uh, we won't know more from London police until sometime next week. What are you expecting to hear? I don't expect to hear much more than what the London police has already said about the investigation. On top of that, perhaps well, of the accused parties and the charges that have been laid. But other than that, the London police have to keep things very close to their chests. And they may perhaps uh, appeal for any other victims who may have experienced uh, similar assaults to come forward and really encourage any victims of these types of assaults to come forward and, and speak to the police. The continuing story of EM, the woman who has said that she was sexually assaulted 
by multiple members of the 2018 Team Canada Junior Team and how this is developing. Five players have been ordered by the London Police Service to turn themselves in. They'll be facing sexual assault charges. So how might a sexual assault case like this unfold and develop in criminal court? Jacob Jake Jessen joins us from Rottenburg, Shedlowski Jessen, RSJ Law in Toronto. Mr. Jessen regularly represents clients facing serious sexual allegations. Jake, thank you very much for the time. Thank you very much for having me, Rob. Yeah, two, 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 good. How are you? Good, good. Thank you. 2018, a long time ago for many people, yeah. right? Not one player turned himself in to police even once the case generated national interest and police investigation over a year ago. Um, I think that was the second police investigation. Are you surprised or would players perhaps have hired legal representation who may have advised them not to step forward? Well, I'm not surprised, first of all, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that anybody in that position would have hired a lawyer to advise them on what to do. And it would be an extremely rare situation where anybody would voluntarily go into the police like that just on a rumor that they were being investigated. So normally the police don't contact you until they're ready to lay an arrest. This is a bit of an unusual situation, probably because of the public uh, nature of this case that they've advised these players that they'll need to come back to Canada and surrender themselves. Uh, and so, but normally the police uh, only advise you that you're being investigated when they're ready to arrest you. And that's when you find out. Uh, but even then, uh, most people do not go in and sort of meet with the police and say, hey, I didn't do it. Uh, there's really no evidentiary value to that uh, in, in, in making that kind of statement for a lot of complex uh, evidentiary reasons. There's no value to that. It doesn't help that person. There's a time and place uh, to make those kinds of statements, and that's in a courtroom uh, during a trial when a person decides whether they want to testify or not. Okay. We've had at least one member of the team say, I wasn't part of it say that publicly. Um, well, what about this case and the way it's twisted and turned and been reported on from so many different compass points? What about this case particularly gets your attention? Well, I, first of all, it's the, the fact that it's a, such a public case and, and the way it sort of went about with EM coming first to the police shortly after the incident, uh, going through uh, the regular sort of investigatory process right in the very beginning uh, and waiting quite a while having the police investigate and then uh, tell her that they're not going to lay charges. Uh, and then having to wait a number of years before she came forward and brought a civil suit, which was settled very quickly. Um, her lawyer has made some statements in the media as to why there was uh, a delay in that respect. Not so unusual in terms of that delay. Um, but having it now come uh, forward again, having the police look again at their investigation uh, a second time and reopening it and now deciding actually there are reasonable grounds to lay charges is, is quite unusual. How how do you see this going forward now? I think we're going to find out uh, a little bit on February 5th. It sounds like the London police have probably arranged for them to surrender later on this week uh, and then to make uh, some sort of uh, press conference or statements about that arrest. We'll find out what they are charged with. I, I expect they'll be charged not just with sexual assault, but uh, a little bit more of an aggravating offense of gang sexual assault because it sounds like uh, the allegations are that uh, there were five of them in the room at the same time doing this. Uh, you might see also charges of forcible confinement. They're all pretty serious uh, allegations. They carry with them some significant penalties in jail time if a person is convicted. Uh, but you'll, I think the public will hear very little about the case right at the outset. The police will want to keep as much of the details of their investigation 
uh, not hidden, but closed for now because they don't want to taint the public. This is going to be a public case, probably end up in the, in the hands of a jury. And the more that this information is sort of disseminated, the uh, investigation and the evidence is disseminated, that can actually taint the trial process. So I think they'll want to keep uh, as much details as possible. At the same time, giving some detail, uh, obviously, as to who's been charged, what they've been charged with, uh, so that if there's anybody else, any other uh, victims or complainants, that they can consider whether they want to come forward as well. Jake, we often hear about uh, sexual assault cases in the courtroom being particularly rough on the alleged victim. And I've talked to victims of sexual assault who've said to me, if I knew what was going to happen to me in that courtroom, I never would have come forward. Um, Does this case have the potential to become particularly rough on EM? Well, I think think it goes without saying that, first of all, every criminal case is tough on the individuals testifying or involved in the case. These are not enjoyable activities to be part of. Uh, and, and, you know, everybody finds it difficult, and especially in these kinds of cases where the reason why they're mostly difficult and why they're said to be some of the most difficult types of cases to address is because there's usually, uh, it's a matter of credibility and what we call in the in our business, he said, she said kind of situations where there's usually a lack of forensic evidence. Uh, and there's also issues of intoxication, as we see in this case. It just makes the whole experience a little bit more difficult to determine what actually happened. And that's why tough questions need to be asked of all witnesses, not just the complainant, but if the accused uh, individuals decide that they would like to testify to, tough questions will be asked of them as well. And it is a difficult process for everyone. I expect, you know, the complainant, she has legal counsel. That's a good thing. That's always advisable. It certainly makes the process smoother. better for everyone when everybody has a lawyer, uh, allows them to be informed, and I expect that uh, she will make use of that, uh, that will assist her. But I, I, you know, I don't doubt that it will be difficult for her. Uh, it sounds like she didn't want this process to be sort of publicly played out, at least some of the statements that have been made on her behalf in the media. Uh, unfortunately, you know, due to the nature of who we're dealing with, I think that's not, uh, not going to be the case. I've never asked a criminal lawyer this question, and I should have. Um, how do you structure a case when you're defending someone? If, if you're a client, if you're defending uh, someone like EM, how do you? What's the first thing you do? How do you structure a case? Well, I think the the, the first steps is well, you know, any with any type of case, whether it's sex assault or not. But you're looking at the evidence first. So what what is the actual evidence? Are there forensics to corroborate the allegations? You know, for example, uh, this happened in a hotel. Are there video uh, surveillance videos from the hotel that demonstrate, for example, um, EM walking in with the first uh, accused person? Was she able to walk uh, on her own volition? Uh, she's claimed that she was intoxicated. Is that apparent in the videos? Uh, things like that. And you're looking at also her statement and her allegations of what she remembers happening, who was involved. And then there's really a question as to, you know, your client's version of events. Were they there? Were they not there? Did it happen? Did it not happen? And if there was some sexual activity, was it consensual? And what were the the indications that the other person was consenting uh, to that sexual activity? So it's it's a real tough, complex analysis of not just the evidence that's been presented by the police, but also looking at uh, your client's version, uh, understanding and recollection of what happened and what they were thinking and addressing whether or not there's a defense. 
if you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 